Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at a scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and it will be a scripture that every one of you, I'm sure, will know very well, but have probably not had the revelation that I hope you're going to get this morning. Amen? So that should make you smile a little bit. Because it's great to get fresh revelation from the Word of God. You know, I never get bored reading the Word. You can read the same scripture a thousand times and, you know, what God has just come through and it will meet you exactly where you are in life. So, if you want a title for this morning's service uh, or sermon, it is Take Every Thought Captive. Take Every Thought Captive. And this is a real kind of spiritual but practical word this morning because if you apply what I'm going to share with you you will definitely uh, make progress in your in your life especially your thought life so second Corinthians chapter 10 we demolish arguments and every pretension which is a claim that sets itself up against the knowledge of God we take captive every thought and make it obedient. Amen? So that is a real practical claim that Paul gives out. Okay? He says, look, we don't live in the world. We don't war like the world wars. In other words, we don't deal with situations the way the world deals with it. The weapons that we fight with are not even weapons of this world. So the way uh, the non-believer works and deals with things. We don't deal with things that way. On the contrary, they have divine power. So the weapons that we use have divine power. They are different. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the heavenly realm. Okay, And we, uh, to demolish strongholds. Now a stronghold is like a fortress. Okay? A stronghold isn't just where the enemy's got a little bit of your land. A stronghold is where the enemy's rooted in and you just can't get them out. Okay? We demolish arguments and every petition that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Okay? So in life, you've got to look at the situation and say, well, this is my situation, but what does the knowledge of God say about my situation? Okay? Because if the word of God or the knowledge of God is saying something different, that is what you've got to go with. And therefore, whatever is opposing that point of view has got to be pulled down. Okay? But the trouble is the church doesn't pull down strongholds. Most Christians don't pull down strongholds, and you'll see why in a minute. Uh, anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought, captive and make it obedient. Most Christians do not take thoughts captive. You think you do, but you don't. And we'll look at it as to why. Now we live in a day where we are under immense pressure. Everyone's under pressure. You know, you turn your TV on and pressure comes bursting through into your house because of all the adverts and the pressure and the news and all what's going on around the world and it all comes flooding through your front door into the portals of your soul into your hearing it it penetrates the heart and then you live out your life so influenced by what's being said 
really, really influenced and sometimes not even realised how influenced you are by it. Myra was quite funny. When I met Myra, she's being French and Spanish, she's got an accent. But when she used to go to work, there were quite a few Irish nurses. And suddenly she starts coming home with a French, Spanish, Irish accent. And because she was hanging around with these people, especially vocally, she would pick up accents and come in and she'd have a bit of a twang about her, you know? And so who we mix with, we become. The things that we allow in our life do affect our lives at the end of the day. They affect us in some way, shape or form. And more than ever, people are suffering in today's society with continually contending with the bombardment of the mind. The mind is the battlefield. That's the battlefield, okay? The mind. And we are so pressured by the world, number one, generally, pressured by the enemy, powers and principalities, the demonic realm, and then pressured by self. That's the pressures you put on yourself. As Paul said, it was pressured from the, out, uh, pressured from the outside and fears on the inside, he said. You know? And we pressurise or we cause fears within ourselves. I don't know if, if you're human like me, but uh, sometimes you hear somebody's got something terrible. Me and Mark were talking this morning, you know, you hear that somebody's got a liver cancer or a brain hemorrhage or someone's died of a heart attack or someone's... And all of a sudden you've got a twinge. Never had that twinge before, but all of a sudden you've, you've got a twinge. And then you're watching TV and somebody's had a brain tumour and all of a sudden you've got a little headache. And you think, I've got a headache. But, but because of Google, the great and mighty oracle, most people then self-diagnose themselves with all manner of types of illness, you know, because of Dr. Google, and before they know it, they've, they've got all the worst case scenarios of sickness, illness, disease, and everything else. You know, and I'm, I'm as good as the rest of you, I'm the same. And I have to rebuke those things, and I have to tear down the strongholds. But in today's society, we are bombarded. And depression, anxiety, and mental health issues are rampant in today's society. Depression, feelings of suicide, feelings of anxiety, no peace, can't sleep, can't eat, mental health issues, and the mind is just bombarded. Humans, we're not made for it. We're simpletons. Simpleton Spurgeons calls us uh, earthlings. We're earthlings, we're simpletons. We were made for the Garden of Eden. We were not made to be bombarded by the demonic realm. We weren't made to live in unbelief. We weren't created for these things. And so they're foreign bodies attacking us. And at the end of the day, that is the society that we live in, not just the believer, the unbeliever as well. According to the charity Mind, the health charity Mind, they supported 400,000 people regarding mental health with over 20 million accessing mental health information on their website between the year 20 and 21. 
20 million. That's a third of the UK went onto one website to try and deal with mental health issues. And 400,000 signed up to get help because of mental health issues. And mental health issues years ago had a big stigma, mental health, oh, they take you off to the funny farm, you know. But in actual fact, it's depression, it's suicide, it's self-hatred, it's all sorts of things, anxiety. People are so anxious now, having panic attacks and anxiety, and, and for no reason. If you ask so many people, why do you feel like that? I don't know. And it's all the constant pressure. And we have to learn to expel pressure. Okay? We are in the world, but we're not of it. So the, the things that apply to the world don't apply to me because I'm in this world, but I'm not of it. The principles in my life are different to the principles in the world. Uh, but you've got to apply it. That's the big thing. You've got to apply it. Yet for the believer, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it often doesn't feel like that. It feels like his yoke is blimming like a scrambled egg and his burden is like a ten-ton lorry. Huh? That's reality. That's how it feels. But see, a yoke is a piece of wood that's put across two cattle and it binds them together and they cannot separate. They can't get out of it. And because they're bound together, it makes it easier for them to pull the contents on the back of the uh, cart that they're taking forward. But they're bound together. And Jesus said, for my yoke is easy, and what we're moving forward is light. But as Christians, we don't feel like that. And the reason we don't feel like that is because we are not yoked to Christ. We're yoked to the world. We're yoked to the world system. We're yoked to our fears. We're yoked to our disappointments. We're yoked to our failures. We're yoked to lots of unbelief. We are not yoking ourselves. We are not binding ourselves and yoking ourselves to Christ. We are watching from a distance, believing who he is and what he can do at a distance, but we're not yoking ourselves to him. And then we blame him. Oh Lord, I thought your burden was light. I thought your yoke was easy. It is. But you've got to make some decisions. You've got to grow up. You've got to do what's right by the Lord. You've got to make some sacrifices sometimes. You know, to get the result that you want. Mara keeps telling me, she doesn't need to, she keeps telling me, I'm on a diet. I'm on a diet. I'm starting a diet. I ain't seen no lettuce going in her mouth. I've seen chocolate and lots of it. And popcorn. Last night, we get in bed. And this is, our, this is our, my manipulative wife, right? We get in bed. I'll go to bed early. My manipulative wife is downstairs watching whatever. I'm in bed minding my own business. And uh, she comes in. I've got a bag of popcorn on the side. Okay? It's my popcorn. Do you know why it's my popcorn? Because she ate all her popcorn <laughs> that I bought her. That's my popcorn. And I've got it on the side. And do you know what? 
I'm not hungry, I'm not, I don't want to eat it. So my wife, with a big smile, grabs my bag of popcorn, sticks it in the bed in between us, and says, oh, should we have our popcorn? And suddenly it's our popcorn. It's gone from my popcorn to our popcorn. And I said, no, love, I'm not hungry. She said, oh, and proceeds to eat the entire rest of the popcorn. And it's not a little bag, this is a giant bag. And she's already at her popcorn. Then, at some point during the week, she goes to the mirror or the scales or anything. I feel fat. I feel like I need to lose a bit away. Love, you keep confessing you're on a diet. Look how many chocolates you're eating and sweets and crap and everything else. Well, I'm starting it next week. Yeah, right. Now, I don't mind her the way she is. I did a contract with the Lord. I said, you know, I'll put up with her no matter what. I mean, no, I love her no matter what. You know? But, if you want to lose weight, you know, you're not going to get fat on rabbit food. You know, and I'm not having to go if anyone feels overweight. I'm just, it's just reality. If you need to go on a diet, eat some rabbit food. Eat lettuce. Start eating well. Do a bit of exercise. And that, then you're going to lose that. I've got a, my daughter calls it my daddy pouch. Now, I've never had a six pack. I've had a big one pack. But now it's turned into a, a daddy pouch. I'm a, looks like I'm about three months pregnant. Okay, and she touches, I've got your daddy pouch. But you know what? I can't complain. I eat my food. I like my food. I like sweeties. I'm not a five-year-old. Okay? So I've, I've got nothing to moan about. I don't do the exercise I should. It, you know what I mean? But sometimes as Christians, we're moaning and complaining, but we're not doing what we should. But we just moan about it. So we need to ensure that we're yoked with Christ. Okay? As we know, all scripture is God-breathed and beneficial for our lives. But this section of scripture that I've just read is especially relevant for the times that we are living in. And there's no doubt you've read that scripture so many times. But we need to apply it to get the benefits of it. It's no good just knowing it. You've got to apply it. It's no good just confessing it. You've got to apply it. You've got to take action. You've got to do something. It's got to become activated. Okay? For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. You know, as your family does. That means reacting like your family reacts. Your kids, your parents, your children, whatever it is, your work colleagues, and all these sorts of things. And we get caught up and we end up reacting the same way. We don't fight like that. The battles of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of this world. So therefore, we've got to learn. The church in Corinth, who Paul was writing to, was influenced by worldly philosophy. There was lots of influence of philosophies in that sphere. And they were influenced continually. And Paul, the early church had started there, and Paul was trying to grow them and help them and everything else. And there was a battle going on in that church's mind. There was a battle in the mind of what was going on. They were tempted with worldly ways instead of relying on the gospel, instead of relying on what Paul had written them. And it's very easy to 
uh, engage with the world when you're hurt and somebody's offended you and there's different situations and you end up engaging on their level. But Jesus' methods were completely different to the way the world is. You know, Jesus says things like, turn the other cheek. Love for your enemies. Uh, love for them. Love them. Pray for them. Bless them and do not curse. Bless those who curse you. That's totally contradictory to the carnality of humanity. So we have to remember we're in the world but we're not of it. We're not civilians, we're soldiers. And Rod said the other week, we're not on a, on a uh, cruiser, we're on a battleship. That's what we're on. And so often we can forget our purpose. We just get caught up with the world and before we know it, we're on that cruise ship instead of the battleship. And we've got to remember, we have a calling, it's a spiritual calling, it's important, and we need to live according to it. The weapons that we fight with <coughs> are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay? To demolish. Each of us needs to acknowledge there's a fight going on. Unfortunately, we get distracted by civilian affairs. But there's a fight going on and we need to be equipped and in that fight. But we get distracted. And the weapons that we fight with have divine power for demolishing strongholds. Now there's a difference between rebuking and resisting and demolishing. They're a world apart. And scripture said you've got to demolish it. Mariupol in Ukraine has virtually been demolished. It's unusable and unrecognisable. Why? Because it's been totally demolished. See, and there's issues in our life that we're not demolishing. Okay? And some of the strongholds and issues that we've been through, it's time to demolish them. Okay? Some of the thought processes we have, we've got to demolish now. Don't just keep putting it aside. Don't just keep fighting it. Demolish it. Once something's demolished, you haven't got to fight it anymore. Why? Because it's demolished. It's no longer functional. But how much stuff, you just, we just keep fighting it and fighting it and fighting it and fighting it and fighting it because it's not demolished. But Jesus demolishes strongholds. Corinthians 1, Corinthians 1, 9, 26. Corinthians 1, 9, 26 to 27. And it says, I do not run like somebody running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer fighting the air, beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. So Paul is saying, look, if you're going to run, don't run aimlessly. Because we think, well, running's good enough. Yeah, but if you're running with no purpose, it's pointless. You've got to run with a purpose. And sometimes do not fight like a boxer beating the air. You will wear yourself out and achieve nothing. That's what you'll do. You'll wear yourself out, you've achieved nothing. And often 
we're running aimlessly and we're often where the box and we're fighting, we're beating the air. And we're not dealing with the, the powers and principalities and different things that we need to be dealing with. And we're just wearing ourselves out. We're just getting tired. He said, no, I will not be disqualified from the prize. Now, in, in Greece, in Corinth, in these different places, they were very athletical, uh, uh, sports and all this sort of stuff. And they knew that they had to uh, run the race correctly, otherwise they would not receive the prize. Now, the prize in this case is heavenly uh, prizes. It's not talking about salvation. That wasn't the prize. Salvation was dealt with. It was talking about the prizes. We see how Paul's emphasising self-discipline, correct training in order to fight. We can only fight if we're using the appropriate weapons, and those weapons are found in Ephesians chapter 6, which is the armour of God. And we need to put on the armour of God. Now the question is, are we fighting in our, in our carnality, in our flesh, and not in the spirit? Instead of the belt of truth, do we fight with the belt of deception? We're not really facing reality. We don't want to face the truth. So we just kind of say, well, it's not that bad, or I twist it a little bit, or I just try and make it comfortable for myself. And, and it's not really the truth. You can't handle the truth. You've seen that film, A Few Good Men. Just tell me the truth. You can't handle the truth. And sometimes we can't handle the truth. Somebody comes up to you and says, I want you to speak into my life. I want you to tell me the truth about myself, blah, blah, blah. So, okay, fine, lovely. First time you do it, that's it. They're offended and won't talk to you anymore. So now you're, you're powerless to help them because you know you cannot tell them the truth because they can't handle the truth. And sometimes we can't handle the truth. Instead of the breastplate of righteousness, do we use our own successes? Instead of the shoes of the gospel, do we run in the trainers of fear? Instead of the shield of faith, do we fight using deception as a power? Instead of the helmet of salvation, are we using the helmet of self-reliance? Instead of the sword of the Spirit, we're just fighting with human schemes. We need to know that we've been equipped for every good work, but we do need to do and follow the methods the Word of God teaches us to regarding destroying strongholds. We demolish, Scripture says, we demolish arguments and every claim that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Since we demolish them. So, for whatever reason, somebody in your family or friendship circle whatever, doesn't like you, and they're just not nice to you, and they're always putting you down. And, and you let that come into your mind, and you chew it over, and then you end up in agreement with what they've said, Instead of saying, oh, hang on, you said I was this, that, and the other. No, Scripture, doesn't matter what you think, it's irrelevant. Scripture says, I'm X, Y, and Z. So I'm not going to receive that into my life. I'm not having that, because that's not what the Bible says about me, because the problem is I've been born again, and my DNA is now different. And the DNA you're looking at me with is a natural DNA, but the DNA I have now comes from Jesus. 
My DNA has been changed. So what you're trying to apply to me doesn't work. And we demolish that and we resist it in Jesus' name. We demolish every argument and claim that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Well, you say I'm this, that and the other. Right, well, what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says I'm this, that and the other. That's it. That is it. And you fight back with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We do not take those things on and give them power in our lives because they take root and they begin to build into other areas. It says, and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. So there's a real good thing here. We, so one we demolish, so it's destroyed. We destroy these things. And that's every argument or every claim that sets itself up against the knowledge of God over your life. And then we take every thought captive. But we don't. This is a form of spiritual warfare. To take every thought captive, you have to be in unity with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. If you're not listening to the Holy Spirit and you're not responding by the word of God, you're not going to take it captive. Them thoughts are just going to hound you. It's necessary to use the gift of discernment. You know, as believers, we have the gift of discernment in our lives. So we can discern, is, is this true about me? A lot of people don't know the truth about themselves. If I'm in the wrong, or there's something not right, or I've, I want the truth, I don't want my wife to appease me and make me feel good about myself. I'm not interested. I haven't got the, don't come and try and blow smoke up my nose. It will do nothing for me whatsoever. It's just, well, I'm not that sort of person. I want truth. And I know the truth offends people. It does. The truth is offensive. And we don't like it because we've been offended. How can you say that about me? Because it's truth. But you can change. There's Jesus. And he sets us free. And he transforms our lives. Hallelujah. The truth will set you free, but it will make you miserable first. Great book by J uh, Jamie Buckingham. The truth will set you free, but it will make you miserable first. And that is true. Scripture says the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. We demolish arguments. We don't temporarily ignore them. Sometimes Christians get thought that thoughts, there's a battle of the mind. And what we do is we deflect them by trying to ignore them. Oh, I don't, I don't receive that. Oh, I shouldn't have that thought about Tony. It's not nice. Oh, I shouldn't be thinking that. That's a lustful thought. Oh, oh go away. Nasty, horrible thought. Oh, that's a revengeful thought. I shouldn't have that thought. I deflect that thought. Or we try to ignore it. No, not listening. Not here. Don't matter. I'm not listening. And we just try and fill our mind with something else quickly. That's not going to demolish strongholds. Temporary ignoring them or setting them aside won't do it. If we demolish strongholds and arguments that are opposing the knowledge of God, 
if we don't destroy them, they will hinder us later. Most of the character flaws and fears and issues you have will be the ones you have most of your life. Most of your life. And you'll probably sit there and confess it and say, well, I've always been like this, but Jesus loves me. He accepts me. He does accept you. And then he changes you. That's the fruit of salvation. He accepts you and then he changes you. Amen? But when we stand up and say, well, I've always been like this. I've always been like this. It's a get-out clause. Look at the Garden of Eden. Despite Adam being told by God that he should not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan opposed what God had commanded. Satan comes in and he opposed the knowledge of God. He directly opposed it. And he was successful in tempting Adam and Eve to set up against the knowledge of God. He lured them through deception and they fell into a sinful state. And we must know what the word of God says in order to be able to stand up in the knowledge of the truth so that we're not lured away from the light by the lies of the enemy. It's judging ourselves soberly. You, know, you don't have to accept false accusation. It's not your portion. But you do have to accept truth, even if the truth is not nice. And you've got to be balanced and mature emotionally to be able to handle it. You know, for you guys coming on the mentoring course, you'll meet a different pastor. You know, Sunday morning, I'm, I'm the teacher. During the week, I'm the pastor that visits you, loves you, intercedes, prays for you. For others, I'm a friend. But when it comes to training leaders, you meet a different person. I'm not there to make you feel good about yourself. I'm there to equip you. Some of you are thinking, oh God, what did we sign up for? I'm not quite... <laughs> But it's true, you meet a different me tomorrow night, you will. Because I'm passionate about training leaders. I'm, I know the season the church is in. Okay, we haven't got time for sloppy seconds, we haven't got time for sloppy commitments, we haven't got time for silly offerings. The kingdom of God comes first. And we've got to be realistic, we've got to roll our sleeves up and we've got to get on with it. That's for tomorrow night. Uh, <laughs> How do we process our thoughts? Remember, Paul says that we have to take every thought captive. Sadly, I believe many Christians do not take their thoughts captive. Instead, choosing to ignore their thoughts or procrastinating or refusing to deal with their thoughts is what they do or in deception they think they've dealt with it. They think it's been dealt with, but it hasn't really. Why? Because you're still struggling with it. It's still life pulsating. It's like a weed. weed. I hate weeds. They're part of the fall, by the way. I hate weeds because they just live. They have eternal life in them somehow. When you get a beautiful rose and you can, can chop it up or spill something on it, it dies. Flowers, don't water them for a couple of hours and they're like, we're dying. Weed? You've never watered that 
epoxy dandelion. Not once. You've not fed it or anything. They say, like, yeah, come on, Rocky Balboa, come on, take me out, man. Come on, sucker, bring it on. I'm ready for you. Why do they have to live? I just don't understand it. But when we deal with these thoughts and stuff like that, sometimes you don't even feed it. They're just there. And they just keep coming back because they've never been dealt with. The only way you get rid of that dandelion is to rip that sucker out from the root. Doesn't matter how many times you cut your grass, you've got to, you've got to deal with the root of the grass to get rid of it. Otherwise, your grass will just keep growing. In the actual fact, sometimes you make it healthier. The only way you'll get rid of it is to cut it out from the root. And all the time you keep pruning it back, it's just getting stronger and stronger. While your flowers are like, oh, we're dying, help us. At best, we rebuke our thoughts. That's what we do. But what does it mean to rebuke someone or something? Now listen this morning, this is the revelation you're going to come into. What does it mean to rebuke or to demolish, to take captive or to rebuke? At best we rebuke our thoughts, we rebuke the circumstances, we rebuke the sickness or whatever it is. We, to rebuke biblically means to express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone or something or its actions. That's what rebuke means. It means to stand in complete disagreement, but it does not mean to demolish. You can rebuke some things until the cows come home. That's not going to give you the victory, because what rebuke means is to publicly acknowledge and verbally disapprove. And Jesus rebuked Peter. He rebuked him. He didn't demolish him. He rebuked him. He publicly opposed his behaviour. And that's a rebuke. And Jesus rebuked a lot of different people, but he didn't destroy them. And what we're doing in life, we're rebuking every situation, but we're demolishing nothing. Because we don't have the knowledge of what it is to rebuke and what it is to destroy. So we're spending our Christian life running around saying, well, I, I disapprove of the way my finances are going. I disapprove of the way my health is. I disapprove uh, my kids are doing this. I disapprove of that. And that's wonderful and that's great. And it's a public declaration but you're not destroying anything. Jesus rebuked the demonic realm and then he cast the pigs into the swine. But when he rebuked them, it didn't necessarily mean they disappeared. It means their immediate activity stopped. But they weren't destroyed. What is important, yes, we receive a rebuke from the word of God. Sometimes scripture says that we rebuke one another. So I might say to Ricky, Ricky, no, that's wrong, mate. I'm sorry, I don't agree with that. I, I rebuke that, I don't receive it. I rebuke you in the name of the Lord. 
But that's not demolishing strongholds. Then we think rebuking is demolishing strongholds, and it's not. And that's why we're stuck with a lot of the problems we've got in the church in this day and age. Because the church has got the will to fight, but it hasn't got the knowledge. Jude 1 verse 9, even Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. That is to oppose you, Satan. But it wasn't to destroy him. Was to rebuke him. There is a time Satan will be destroyed. If you, you know we did the end time stuff, you know when that is and how that comes about. That's when Satan will be destroyed. But we have the right to take every thought captive and destroy it, not rebuke it. Destroy that sucker. I had to do it on Wednesday night. I don't get headaches very rarely. Very rarely get headaches. My mum always had headaches. Eat a bar of chocolate, got headache. I smelt an orange, got headache. Oh, it's going to be a thunderstorm, got headache. Honest. She was always getting a headache about something. I generally don't get headaches. Wednesday comes, I've got to take Mara to work. About five, four o'clock, I could feel a bit of a headache brewing. Unusual for me. And I don't generally take medicine. Generally, you know. It's just the way I am. And uh, this headache was getting worse and worse and worse. I'm driving up the motor, I'm taking Mara to work, and it's getting worse. I don't say anything to her, because she'd diagnose me with something, you know. So my headache's getting worse and worse. By the time I drove back home, it was so bad, I felt sick. I literally felt like I wanted to throw up. And I thought, I've got prayer meeting. I don't want to go. I just feel so rough. I can find Tony and say, Tony, can you come swing by, get Luke, get the keys, deal with the prayer meeting, I've got a split in headache, I'm not going. So I wrestled with that, and I thought, no, I've got to go, I'm the leader. That's what leaders do, we don't abandon the battlefield, I need to fight this. So I go to prayer meeting, I'm setting things up, I'm like, oh, my head. Prayer meeting starts, I'm sitting at the back, people probably think I'm in holy Joe mode or my little holy cloud. Or I'm not. I'm like, oh my head, oh my head. I'm having visions of just throwing up everywhere. You know, can I get to the toilet in time before I'm going to throw up? And then the Lord reminded me of this sermon I'd written and said, well, you're not really taking the thought captive, are you, young man? Prayer meeting, we can't be in conversation, Lord. It's a prayer meeting. You've got to listen to all this stuff. Tony was going on, praying for everything. I mean, and I said, you know what? Yeah, I've not even attempted to take this captive. So immediately, I change roles, and I begin to take this captive, this thought. I begin to process it. We can see that in a minute, how you process. I process the thought, and do you know what? I took two paracetamol. I know so little about medicine, I don't even know where the medicine cupboard is in their house. I said, Luke, I need drugs. And he's like, legal, illegal, I mean, <laughs> what are we talking about here, Dad? Caleb's got some connections, I could, could you give him a call. Cole's old little black book might come in handy. And uh, I said, just need paracetamol. 
So it gets the paracetamol. It gives me the, the packet. I look at him, he's my son. I look at him and say, how many do I take? He said, take two. I say, how long is it going to take to work? Half hour. I'm like, oh, that's all right then. I'll be all right for prayer meeting. They didn't do jack. Two hours, nothing's happened. I haven't touched me at all. In the prayer meeting, the sides of my face begin to manifest because my brain is now saying, you've got a brain tumour. You've got 30 seconds to live and your head will explode. You know, it's all kicking off. The enemy's just having a blast. You know, the enemy's there with the rest of the demonic realm going, watch this, you'll love this. You're going to have a bleed on the brain like Yomi had years and years ago. I'm like, Where's Yomi and Tony? I need to talk to them. No, 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 you've got a tumour. No, 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 you've got this. And Satan's there going, watch this, this is great. I love prayer meetings. You can just distract them. And all of a sudden I took it captive. I took it into captivity. I processed, processed it through the spiritual court and I demolished that sucker and immediately it left. Afterwards I was talking to Emma. 20 minutes before, 10 minutes before, I'm in Darren Valley Hospital with Mara coming to, to, to sort me out. Rebuking's not enough. Got to demolish. And I, had to, I said, thank you, Lord, you're testing me on this even before I preach it. When someone's taken captive, so how do we do it then? What do we do? What's the process? When someone, someone's taken captive or arrested, they are then processed based on the evidence or circumstances around them. They are either released or they're charged. One of the two. Okay? If they're charged, they will be summoned to appear in court, in which they will either be proven guilty or not guilty. So what do we have to do? We have to take every thought through the process of the courtroom. So if you've got to take a thought captive, you can't just take it captive and walk around with your captive thoughts. And say, so what are you doing today? Oh, me and all my captive thoughts are going to Margate for the day. Come on, captive thoughts, and go off. You don't take your prisoners around with you everywhere. You've got to process them. So you take them to the court. When a criminal has been charged, is then taken to court. We take every thought captive. We strip them of their power in the courtroom. The two scenarios, in the first scenario, the thoughts that we're taking captive are complete lies about you. They're complete lies. The enemy's come in and he's bombarded you with lies. For years you've rebuked them, but they just always come back again in some way, shape or form or when the circumstance is right for them to manifest and bang, there it is again as usual and you just rebuke it. But now you're going to take it captive. So when the thought comes in and it is complete lies <coughs> and then you put it on the stand and it opposes everything the gospel says about you and it's a false accusation regarding your actions, your character, or your thoughts, okay? And they're lies. And you take it captive and you strip it with that and you say, well, that opposes the word of God. 
and so on and so forth. The second scenario is the court hearing where you've wrestled with your thoughts, but this time the accusation made against you are true. They're not lies. You were a miserable cow last night. You did cheat on your tax. You did get into road rage. You did look at that pornography. You did have lustful thoughts about so-and-so. You did wish that you could bury your mother-in-law, although she'd been dead for 10 years already. Whatever it is, the, the, you are guilty. You're rotten, dirty little sinner. It's not a false accusation. You are like that. You did have that thought. You did do it. So the second courtroom, the thought is there and says, we're true thoughts, we're true, guilty as charged. And we are guilty. And the enemy's always quick to remind you of how guilty you are. Then Jesus, in both courts, is our judge. Remember, Scripture says Jesus has been given the right to judge. Jesus is our judge and he declares his verdict. The first verdict in the first court is not guilty, false accusations. Next! Second verdict in the second court is forgiven sinner. Guilty as hell, but forgiven by the grace of God and my blood that I shed for them. There's no price to pay. Take the guilt, take the accusations and clear off because they've been set free and they've been forgiven and they've been washed by my blood and there is triumph at the cross and I have triumphed, therefore I release judgment in this situation. Nothing can wage war against them because of the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to them by faith. Isn't that wonderful? So the first court of all false accusations, case dismissed. Second court, where you're guilty, you know you're guilty, so on and so forth, and Satan gets you on a guilt trip. Because you're still living as if you were guilty. That's what guilt does. Guilt, when your feelings of guilt, is the manifestation of the mindset that you are guilty. And Jesus says, you've been set free. You're forgiven. Stop walking as you're guilty. You're not guilty. And Father says, you know what? I remember their sins. No more. I separate them as far as the east is from the west. And Jesus declares that you are forgiven. And God's triumph and mercy, God's mercy triumphs over any other accusation. Romans 8.28, we all know it. For we know that in all things... God works for the good for those who love him have been called according to his purpose. Hallelujah. From the call, we must then walk in the renewed mind of Christ. If we repent, if we've repented, walk in repentance. Amen. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Remember that we are in Christ and therefore there is no condemnation. We can walk in repentance and renounce our sin and trust in the saving grace of God who will enable us to take every thought captive. It's not enough to rebuke the thought. You've got to take it captive, take captivity over it, take authority over it, and then you strip it in the courtroom 
That's where the stronghold is broken down. Amen? And you come out of that courtroom and you're set free. And that cycle of thought process, accusation, habit, character flaw becomes demolished. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to uh, test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing and perfect will. Amen? 1 John 3, verse 19. This is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If your heart condemns, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Wonderful. So if you're still stuck in guilt, you're still beating yourself up, God says, I'm greater than your heart. I'm greater than the verdict you're putting over yourself. So when you sit there and say, I feel a failure, I feel a, I could have done more, I, I, you have regret, I feel this, I feel these different things of regret in my heart, I can't shift it. Guess what? Be at peace. Because the word is saying, even though you're running with those emotions, they're powerless. Even if your heart condemns you, it's powerless because God knows greater. Amen? And I love that scripture because we do struggle. We struggle in ourselves sometimes. We struggle to accept what Father says about us. How to set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. Lord, I feel so guilty. I feel ashamed. I feel embarrassed. I feel this. I feel that. And he says, do you know what? Even though you have all that feeling, all those feelings, be at peace. Be at peace. See, sometimes we're waiting for peace to come based upon feeling. I feel good now. The peace has come. No, you get the peace when you're in the bucket. Okay? When it's all going peak tong, you can have peace at that point. And your emotions are saying there's no peace, but that's where you've got anything that opposes or sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And according to the knowledge of God, which is the word of God, I can have peace in my life. I can have peace, and I can have peace in this situation of fear. Because that's what the Word of God says. Okay? And these thoughts are going against what the Word of God says. Now you've got to live according to the Word. You've got to do something. Okay? It's not positive affirmation. Positive words. Words speak positively about your life and you'll feel better. Anyone would. But that's got into the church. Positive affirmation. Just speak positive. Just believe and you'll be fine. It's a load of nonsense. The world's got that. Positive thinking is not the power of the blood of Jesus. You can apply positive thinking or you can apply scripture. Scripture ain't positive thinking. It's the truth. And the Amen. truth will set you free. Amen? Amen? How reassuring to know that God loves us. Wonderful. Zechariah 3, verse 1. Zechariah 3, verse 1. 
Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put on fine garments on you. Wonderful. See, Satan's there to do his stuff, but God is there and he dresses you. And you leave that courtroom with the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Amen? The dirty clothes have been removed. We sung that song, Great is His Faithfulness. I think that's wonderful. Morning by morning. Oh, every morning you wake up, it's a fresh day. And His faithfulness and His grace is there. And you start afresh. You start afresh. You haven't logged up a thousand sins. Scripture says if you confess your sin, he's faithful to forgive you. I haven't got a thousand sins locked up in my, in my life. I've sinned a million times or more. But I haven't even got ten locked up against me. Why? Because great is his faithfulness. New every morning is a God of covenant. Hallelujah. If he wasn't like that, he wouldn't be a God of covenant and he wouldn't be God. What liberation for the church, for his people. Wonderful. And in closing, the prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he, Christ Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Hallelujah. He, Jesus, will crush Satan under your feet. But you've got to get up and move. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Father, I thank you it brings freedom and liberality to our lives. Give us understanding. Give us revelation, Lord God. We need revelation, not just for us, but for those around us, for those that we love and we cherish. Lord, where we're up against time and time again, familiar battleground. Yet according to you, the battle's been won, and every stronghold has been demolished. Father, I pray that you will equip us to do exactly what Corinthians says, to take every thought captive, whatever those thoughts are that come into our head, not just to rebuke them, which is great, we rebuke them, absolutely, Father. We know to rebuke those, to set, the, to set that standard. But, Father, your word says, not only do we rebuke them, but we take them captive, and we demolish the stronghold in Jesus' name. 
And Father, I pray over this congregation that, Lord God, as you equip us and you give us understanding, Lord God, we will begin to demolish some strongholds in our mind, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our character, Lord God. Some strongholds will be demolished. Every high thing will be pulled down in Jesus' name. I pray, Father, that you will cause us to remember the word of God to put it into practice, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you're here this morning and you want prayer, I'll pray with you and for you, just to stand in agreement that, you know, you're going to move into a new sphere of spiritual warfare, a sphere and a level where you begin to take some captives and you begin to break some strongholds. And I pray for God's anointing and equipping over you. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you, Lord God. There's some stuff that we've wrestled with for too long. We've rebuked for too long. Father, I thank you that you love each one of us. I thank you for the courtrooms that we come out of both of them as white as snow. We come out of both of them pure and set free. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.